continues to say something to us. The spirit of the living Lord Jesus continues to say something to our hearts. Just two words. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And then trust me. No matter where you're sitting today, no matter what's going on, where you are is no surprise to the lover of your soul. And I believe he would have us consider this thought. Trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. Trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. It may be that a way is needed for an opportunity to happen. Maybe it's business. Maybe it's professionally. And you've worked hard and you've trained and tried to make the connections, tried to show up on time and do things the best you can. But you've come to the conclusion that you can't make it happen, whatever it is, you, you can't make it happen. You don't have it within your resources to make it happen. And it may be that the Lord would just wonderfully, warmly, gently whisper in your ear today, trust me to make a way. Trust me to make a way. In his timing, in his way. It, it may be relationship. It, it, it may be restoration of a relationship. It may be the distance in a relationship that needs to be closed and you've, you've tried whatever you know to try and it, there's just no movement. To us in that place today, Hugh, he would say, trust me, trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. It could be medically, physically, trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. At the deepest places in our hearts, where we really live, not, not the plastic, not the exterior, not the makeup, not the hairspray, but in the places of where we really feel it the most, where we, who we really are. If, I, if you know, the old question, if, 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 if I were to really know you, what would I need to know about you? Past, present, that place, it's that place, folks, that I believe the Lord is saying with the strength of his loving spirit in that place where you really feel it the most, trust me. Trust me. We've been quoting a verse throughout this, this uh, time of looking into those two words at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Lean on. Count on. Look to. Trust in the Lord. Not some minor deity. Not some church tradition not some magical place of inspiration, 
trust in the Lord God of all creation. The one who stepped out on nothing and said, let there be, and everything came into being. The one who has never lost a fight. The one who knows no impossibilities. The one who knows no lack. The one who knows no confusion. The one who cannot be overwhelmed. The one who cannot be overcome. The one who cannot be overstated. Trust in the Lord. And then it says, and lean not on your own understanding. They are often in contradiction. Trusting in the Lord versus leaning on our own understanding. What it looks like, what it feels like, what it seems like, what observable logic would seem to indicate. That's trust in the Lord with all your heart, but don't lean on your own understanding. One is emotional, that's a choice. The other is mental, that is a choice. We, we choose what we're going to trust. And not all the time are those in contradiction, but sometimes they are. When the Lord says, trust me, and everything observable seems to be going down the tube, that there is no hope, there is no future, there's no reason to try again, there's no reason to wait. That's what the mind says, that trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. And understanding can be that which we get from stuff that's happened in the past, as well as how we've been taught to process current information. Trust in the Lord, and don't be leaning on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. The Lord's saying, even when it looks as if there is no way, trust me to make a way. Understanding says there'll never be a way, there's no way. But the Lord says, trust me. I am the specialist in creating ways when it seems as if there is no way. Lay not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. That, that's an interesting word. I wonder how, why did Solomon put that in that, that flow of short phrases? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lay not on your In all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall make your paths straight. He shall make a way. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make a way. The word acknowledge simply, one of the definitions, are these, these few words, short phrases, to, to recognize the rights, the authority, the status of someone. To recognize the authority, the rights, and the status of someone. So put it back in the verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. As the process of trusting, as the events are unfolding, as I'm doing life one day at the next, one day at the next, in all my ways, whatever way I'm walking in, whatever place I'm needing to trust him in, in that place, bring in acknowledge that I recognize his right. I recognize his authority. I recognize his status over everything. So I'm not coming him, beating him up to try to get him to do what I want. I'm trying to back him into a corner. God, you've got to do it this way. God, you've got to work it out that way. God, you've got to. I'm recognizing his authority. I'm recognizing his right to do whatever. I meant I am God in the heavens and I do whatever I please. And his status 
as I'm moving through, trusting the Lord, leaning on, relying on, counting on the Lord, and not leaning on my own understanding of the situation, but as I move through it, I'm making a conscious effort to keep on recognizing that he's the one who has all authority. Hallelujah. He's the one who has all rights that will be honored. He is the one who has ultimate status, and he is the one who will make my path straight. There, there are two, two parts to that, and he will make your, your path straight. It, it, can, it, 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 it can mean it has a, has a moral sense, um, right or or uprightness or just. He'll, he will, as he leads us, he's going to not take us into something that's dishonest or, or cruel or mean or wrong. He will lead us in a direction that is right and upright and just. But it also has a physical meaning to it. He will make the, the way straight. He will make the way even. He'll take the crooks out of it. He'll take the, the deep dives and the steep climbs out of it. Another way to translate even convenient, convenient, smooth, even, convenient, but it will also be that what is right and it is just and it is true. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, now folks, listen, put that right back into the situation that you're walking with and living in this morning. What's it going to look like to trust him and not lean on your own understanding? What would it be like instead of already having it figured out what is right, wrong, what needs, here's what will fix it, to as I'm going through in it, through it, to be able to be saying, Lord, you have the right to choose what is right. You have authority over all things, over people and circumstances and time. And I yield to your authority. I yield to your rights. I yield to your position, believing that at the end of the day, the way that you set for my life will be straight. It will be right. It will be smooth. It will be even convenient. It will be good because it's right. Folks, I want to submit to you today that God is the best way maker that there will ever be. He hadn't just begun to make ways for us with our lifetime and our generation. He has always been, as it relates to this earth and to humans, he has always been the one who makes a way. I mentioned creation. There would never have been a planet Earth. There would never have been plant life, human life. There, there would never be uh, anything meteorologically. There would never be anything in the oceans if he hadn't been the one who made a way. <laughs> what do you have to work with? Nothing. 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 He spoke. And from the power of his word, everything that we see, everything that we touch, everything that we feel with our bodies, he brought into existence with nothing more than the power of his word. Humans populate the earth. Eventually, Abraham and Sarah meet each other. They're married God gives a promise to the two of them that they'll have a, an heir, they will have a son. They're expecting it during the normal childbearing years. Doesn't happen. Abraham tries to figure it out by way of, and Sarah tries to figure it out by way of a handmaiden of hers, Hagar. But that wasn't God's perfect plan. They're way past the years of having children. Did God miss it? Did God go to sleep on his promise? 
Did they do something that had violated his heart so much that it caused him to just back away? Or was it all along the plan of God to make a way for two elderly people, husband and wife, to have a child? So that all the rejoicing wouldn't be just about a normal, bouncing, baby Hebrew boy. But this would be a miracle child. God has ways, folks, listen, that are higher than our ways, that are better than our ways, that are beyond our ways, that are not limited to just what a finite human mind can come up with. Trust me, to make a way when there seems to be no way. Abraham, Sarah, we got a witness. That's what he did with us. Then there was Joseph. Joseph, the prized favorite son of his elderly father, sold into slavery by his brothers plotting against him. He ends up in Egypt, strange culture, foreign everything, totally by himself, ends up in a prison, forgotten about, then remembered, then called upon by Pharaoh to interpret the dream. And in one night, He goes from putting his head down on a pillar in the big house to stepping into the front room, the throne room of the king's house. Trust me, Joseph. Trust me. I know you've been abandoned temporarily. I know you're in jail right now. But trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. Everybody may have forgotten him, but his God had not forgotten him. Folks, listen, he's saying to us, he's saying to us, trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. Hopelessness is always premature. I heard a man say this last week who had been diagnosed with stage four melanoma, been given 5% of a chance to live, and God changed and reversed and overturned what the doctors had predicted. And his statement is hopelessness is always premature. So he continues, and it's just one story after another, how the Lord meets people in difficult situations, in hard situations, in mean situations, in abandoned abandoned situations in their lives, and he makes a way. Folks, you and I are not the first ones that the Lord has ever been confronted with who can find ourselves in places where we don't know what to do, we don't know how to fix it, we, we, we can't get inside the minds of other people, we, we don't have the ability to, to, to orchestrate things in, in, in a more of a cosmic level. We, we find ourselves extremely limited and feeling amazingly weak and incredibly powerless And we can wonder, am I the first one who has ever felt this way? And the answer is absolutely not. But the Lord, your God, is not surprised by the things you're walking through right now. Listen, if if the events in your life right now could surprise God, we can't call him God. Because there would be something he doesn't know about. And if there's something that he doesn't know about, then there may be something that he can't fix. But if there's not going to be anything that he doesn't know about, and there's nothing that will exhaust his power, then what you're right in the middle of 
by trusting him, could release his power and his mercy into the situation. To refuse to jump the gun, to refuse to jump to conclusions, to refuse to jump out of the skillet, you know, as we say, and into the fire. But to trust him, which does at times mean waiting. Keeping on, keeping on. Not with our eyes on ourselves, but with our eyes looking to him and remembering he is the God who makes a way. He is a God who specializes in making a way. But I want you to, I want you to go with me to this passage of Scripture, this verse that I've referred to often lately. The book of Titus, short book, Paul wrote it to a man who was pastoring, who was serving within churches. He's trying to give him some instruction. And he, as Paul would typically do, he, he will always give a, a Jesus backdrop to everything. There will be a Theological section, scholars will call them, and then there'll be a practical section to just, just about every single letter that Paul wrote. He gets wound up and overflowing with joy and amazement. You can almost see in some places the tears from his eyes just dropping onto the pages that we read because it's so rich to his heart what he's saying about Jesus. And then he moves on into some practical instructions in the light of that, but I want you to know this is in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Or verse 4, actually, Titus 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The greatest problem that God ever had with you or with me, the greatest problem to work out for us, to help us get through, was not and is not whatever it is you're going through right now. There was and has always been a much bigger problem. So when it says that the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, that being when Jesus came. Jesus came out of heaven, brought forth by love in his heart, love in the Father's heart, love for mankind. It was kindness, not meanness, not hostility, not, not so ticked off with the human race. He was just ready to destroy everybody. He came because he loved the human race. He loved us. And the word there is desiring relationship with us, his love for mankind. There was a courtesy that Jesus showed to even the most despicable moral characters that were operating in the culture of his day. There was a courtesy, and they would be the tax gatherers and the sinners, and he would go to their house, sit down at their table, eat out of their dishes, spend an evening visiting with them, when the other side of the religious spectrum, the ones who were so squeaky clean and so judgmental of everybody else's behavior that people were afraid to even be around them. Jesus picked 
which ones he would spend time with. And it wasn't the squeaky clean, as he would say, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he didn't go into Zacchaeus's house or into Levi or Matthew's house and spend four hours lecturing them on the Torah or spending 30 minutes going over the Ten Commandments. He could have, but he was there because he wanted a relationship with them. If he was going to win them, somehow they were going to need to know that he cared about them. And so that's why he came. But he had this massive problem. He came out of heaven as the only pure being to ever walk as a human on the face of this earth, coming forth from the Holy One, the Father. He's without sin, without any blemish on his character. He becomes a man, and he walks among men and women because he cared about them. But the massive gap, this impossible breach was between the purity of who Jesus was that heaven is all about and the sinfulness and the junk and the anti-godness of this world. How in the world could he being so holy and so pure and so righteous to, from the top of his head to his toenails, how could he have such a love for people who were exactly opposite of, he was, of what he was? But he did. The, the, the way that he loves is incomparable to the way many times that we love. We love ones that are like us. We want, can love ones that will give to us. We love ones that, that will treat us respectfully. But Jesus came and walked among ones and desired relationship, friendship with ones who weren't anything like him, who were off the, off the charts on the moral despicable end of things. But still he loved them. So how would the two, how could it ever be brought together? How how could it be that the pure one really could have an embracing kind of relationship with the sinful ones? Now, folks, instead of us thinking 2,000 years ago and the tax gatherers and sinners, we need to put ourselves in that place. How? How could the spotless one, how could the pure one, how could the holy one really ever have a relationship with me? So I say, well, I'm not as bad. I had never joined ISIS. I'm not as bad as this one. Folks, the scripture says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, was a sinner. Mother Teresa, a sinner. The Pope, a sinner. The biggest Baptist or Pentecostal or charismatic or Presbyterian, right? You name. What part of all do we not understand? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Meaning that the holiness of God, the purity of God, has a right to judge us, has a right to hold us guilty, to hold us in contempt of court. So what was God to do? Trust me when there seems to be no way to make a you to find, leave Titus 3 and go with me to Romans chapter 3. The book of Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. That's everybody except Jesus Christ. 
Then he says, being justified, we, being justified, that just as if I'd never sinned, declared not guilty, being just, we've all sinned, but we are being justified as a gift, as a gift, not as a wage, not as a job done and payment received, but as a flat-out, pure, pure gift. According to this plan, if I'm going to be made right in the sight of God, if I'm going to be justified of the sins that I've committed, that I stand guilty before him, there is absolutely nothing that I can do to make him forgive me. It's not giving money to the church. It's not church attendance. It's not giving my body to be burned, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, in service to the poor. There is only one way where I can be made right before God. And it is by faith in something that Jesus did. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. But now watch this. For the demonstration, I say, of this righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In order for the relationship with you to be fully orbed in the way that God would want it, something had to be done about your sins and my sins. Now, folks, we've got to stop this foolishness and say, well, I hadn't done this and I hadn't done that and I hadn't done as much of this as somebody else. Stop it. That kind of lying to yourself can send you straight to hell. Here's what will keep you out. I'm one of the all. All have sinned. That's me. There have been times for whatever reason, I chose to violate what God said is right in his sight. That's sin, to miss the mark. Okay, here, that, that's tough, and that's heavy, and that's weighty, but here's the good news. You're not by yourself, sister or brother. I'm not the first one that's come down the line that has, in a sense, broken God's heart by the choices that I've made. But he knew that about me. He saw that about you coming before you and I were ever born, before we ever had our names picked out by our parents and grandparents. And he knew that when we would be born, there would be specific things that we would say. There would be specific choices that we would make. There would be kinds of relationships that we would have and on and on and on that in the sight of God, would not measure up to his standard. It would be sin. And the wages of sin is death. Sin will kill something. Something always dies when sin happens. It can be relationships. It can be joy. It can be opportunities. But ultimately it means an eternity away from God. That's what hell is. It's a place of eternal existence, perfectly absent of the goodness of God and the mercy and the kindness of God. Heaven is the opposite of that. It's the place where ones who have put their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross, trusting that he took in his body my sins, that he was punished on the cross. He was punished on the cross. Can I say that 
He was punished on the cross for your sin and my sin. It was the only way. That's what I'm saying. The greatest challenge that God ever had was not what we're going through right now. The greatest challenge that God ever had with regard to us was taking upon himself the guilt, the shame, the brokenness, the sadness of the choices and the sins that we've made. He took in his body on the tree all of that stuff for all of us. Where it says, and the wages of sin is death, that's why he had to die. It was by his death being our substitute for our sins. It was by his death that forgiveness could come. Look, God would be just, but at the same time be the justifier. Just in his judgment of sin. But the justifier in that he loved the sinners so much that he was willing to go and be in their place and receive their punishment. Justifying them even as he receives the justice of God upon himself. Can you believe that? Oh my goodness. It's a gift. It's a gift. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for us. And I'm going to tell you, there's some folks in this room where that's been received and that just washes through you and thrills your spirit. And you can't hardly stand it. You want to just get out in an aisle and just dance at the glory of that, the freedom that you feel because of that. Knowing that what you're used to be doesn't determine who you will be, that you're free and you're forgiven. But there's still others who hear this and say, well, you know, okay. I'm more into a touch it, make it happen, and I, I need, I need give, give, me, give me a list of things to do. Give me some fill-in-the-blank stuff that I can do and figure this out. And you miss it. Because what Jesus knew had to happen was to go far over our ability to compensate for what we were done, what we've done. It would have to be a gift. It would have to be something that requires nothing on our part except receiving what he did. That's it. Save your money. Keep your car parked in your own garage. Don't ever come to church. If you're thinking that by doing those things, it's going to take the place of Jesus' death on the cross. If Jesus Christ's death on the cross was on the same par as self-sacrifice, being nice to people, giving gifts, if those other things would get the forgiveness of God just as easily as Christ's death on the cross, then Jesus Christ's death on the cross was a total waste of an innocent man's life. That's why the symbol of the church for all these centuries is this cross. When you look at that cross, discouraged brother or sister, When you look at that cross and you wonder, is there ever going to be a way for me? But you look at that cross and you understand down deep inside you that the greatest problem you ever had is not the problem you're going through right now, but is the problem that Jesus dealt with in your behalf before you ever sucked air, before you ever spoke a word, his death For you on the cross where he took in his body all of the sins that you would be guilty of, that I would be guilty of. And he died. And he was buried. And the law was satisfied in the death of Jesus as it relates to my sins. 
Why? Because I'm trusting that he died on that cross in my place for my sins, not his. And that he didn't stay buried, but that he was raised again on the third day. And I'm telling you, folks, Easter, the fact that you're not going to find any DNA in the tomb in Jerusalem. You're not going to find any evidence of his body there. He didn't decay. And the fact that that tomb was empty, the fact that that stone was rolled away, not so he could get out, but so we could see in, is proof that the law of heaven in your behalf as a truster in Jesus, the law of heaven against your sins was satisfied in the death and burial of Jesus. If there had been any evidence of decay or ruin, we wouldn't have the assurance that Paul speaks of. We were justified that he was raised on account of our justification. He was raised from the dead. Raised from the dead because the law of heaven against you and against me, choosing against God in the thousand ways we do it, but the law of heaven was satisfied in the death of Jesus. And he was raised on the third day as proof that the law no longer can bind him or us who have our faith in him. But Satan can't own you. And the sins of your past don't have to cripple you anymore. Sometimes people try to cripple us. Sometimes people won't shut up about stuff we've done. Let me tell you, here's how you handle that. Somebody brings up something that you did that you were guilty of, don't fuss at them. Thank them. Thank you for reminding me of what my Jesus did for me. You're right. You're right to accuse me because I'm guilty. I did it. I was wrong. But let me tell you the rest of the story. I am guilty no longer. I'm forgiven and I'm free. And where I hurt you, I ask you to forgive me. Where I hurt you, I want to make amends to you in whatever way I need to. But the truth is, Jesus Christ paid that price with his own life's blood. And I receive his death in my place as his gift to me. And I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. Trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. Listen. If he's already taken care of that for you, the rest of this that we go through is no step for a stepper. This is not his first time. This is not his first chance to prove that he makes a way when there seems to be no way. If somebody's listening to me today, and all of this about the significance of the death of Jesus Christ, maybe it's the first time that that's hit you. Maybe you never really have understood why is the cross the centerpiece of the church on earth? It's just two pieces of wood. There's nobody hanging on it. What, what is it about? It's because this is God's ultimate expression of how he can make a way 
when there seems to be no way. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we had done in righteousness. Trying to pay God off. Trying to be good because I was bad. Hanging out with different people now. All the lies, all the little phony little stories that we can come up with. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we have done. But according to his mercy. And where was his mercy expressed it was when he was hung on that cross and as he was hanging on that cross your sins and my sins were put on him and he was dying a sacrificial death he was dying as a sacrifice in your place and my place and the way we get the benefit of that is that we receive that as a gift, not as a wage to be earned, but as a gift. So here's the question this morning. Have you ever received the gift of what Jesus did for you on the cross, whereby your sins are forgiven? Satan is pushed aside from having any authority to control your life. Heaven is opened. The Father's house is your place to be now. And Christ has come to live inside you. Because he's not, he's not still on the cross. He's not still in the tomb. The tomb is empty. So where is he? He said, where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in the middle of you. Paul would say, it's Christ in you, in you that is your hope of glory. Have you received the gift of Jesus Christ's death in your behalf for sins to be forgiven, and for heaven to become your home. Folks, listen. Nobody can do that for you. We don't get into the Father's house by osmosis, by being married to a Christian, or by hanging out with Christians, or by singing some songs, and so forth and so forth. It's by receiving the gift Walk through here with, you know, with shopping carts full of gifts, gifts, gifts. and Everybody would get the gift who received the gift. But there could be gifts still in that H-E-B shopping cart that nobody picks up because there's some folks that are too proud or whatever to receive the gift. So the gift goes unopened. The impact of the gift goes unappreciated. And life goes on when life doesn't have to go on as it has been going on. Trust me, to make a way when there seems to be no way. Trust me. Whatever he's saying to you, Whatever he's really saying to you is going to be said in the context of what you're going through this morning right now, what is real to you. Trust me. If, if the eternal part of this he's already taken care of, he's already made a way for, then all of the other things, this side of that, he is more than equal to the task for. 
Trust me. Trust me to make a way when there seems to be no way. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning, and I thank you for the clear expressions so that we may have a detailed understanding of what the death of Jesus was all about. Why Paul would say, I glory in the cross when there was no other way. You made a way. You were both just and the justifier of those who will believe in Jesus. Lord, may that be all of us in the sound of this voice. May that be all of us. We can't do it one for another. It's an individual, one-on-one, you desiring relationship and friendship with us individually. So, Lord, I pray wherever, wherever folks are hearing this, and there's that call from your heart to theirs, open your heart. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. Lord, may, may we call upon you. May we cry out to you, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on And Lord Jesus, where there are naughty situations, where there are emotionally supercharged situations going on and financial obligations that may be large and looming larger, Lord, we we come straight back to you and we say, Lord, the best we can, we trust you to make a way because there seems to be no way. Lord, will you refresh your people? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us with your Spirit's power that we may overflow with hope and trust in you is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen.